Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Monday night edition of the pod. I want to start actually by asking you guys a, a favor, which is the number one thing you could do to support our show right now is to use that cap space code to get 20% off at Wish. They are, as you know, are sponsoring the Twitter NBA show and they're going to be deciding whether to renew pretty quickly here. So Wish is great. You get fantastic deals there. You can buy basically anything that you want at Wish for outstanding prices. And if you use that cap space code, even if you use them before, you get 20% off whatever you're going to buy. So hopefully Hopefully that'll be a win-win for both of us but it's not often we'll straight up ask for favors like this but this is one that definitely is going to really matter to us uh today we're going to get back to doing some gamers not a ton of trade news we got that bucks net deal to discuss we'll get to that first and then we're going to talk about utah and new orleans see how nikola miritich is looking in his new home and then also detroit and portland check in on how blake griffin is looking as a detroit piston but first danny we have a trade to announce yeah i mean when i I created the original joke of gotta catch them all for the for the bucks it was originally only about the Plumleys, but now i think it needs to be the zellies because now they added tyler zeller so the trade is it's it's kind of an interesting structure just for a couple different reasons but so it is zeller straight up going to the milwaukee bucks who included vaughn rashad vaughn who they already declined the fourth year option on and a future second round pick and what's weird is they had to trade it kind of around the protection of the pick that they already owed to the Phoenix Suns. So basically, if the Suns pick conveys this year to Phoenix as part of the Eric Bledsoe trade, then Brooklyn gets Milwaukee second in 2020. And if it's the reverse, then that had then it, then Brooklyn gets it this year. Yeah, and going back to the Bledsoe trade, it's interesting because you'll recall the first rounder in the Bledsoe trade is protected 17 to 30 this year. So if it's above 17 or 17 or above, I should say, it doesn't go. But then that second rounder is set up. So essentially, if the Bucks finish somewhere where the first rounder doesn't go then the second rounder will go because that second rounder is protected for the first 16 picks of the second round and so what they are trading is the second rounder if it does not fall in the first 16 picks i'm sorry if it does fall in the first 16 picks of the second round and then if it does not go this year then you go back to a 2020 unprotected second round pick and so the bucks giving up a second rounder maybe it doesn't go till 2020 which of course requires a discount if they don't make the playoffs or at the very lower end of the playoffs that second rounder could be okay you know it's usually once you get past about 45 second rounders it seem to become a lot less valuable just in terms of the type of player that you can get so they paid a price here and uh what'd they get they got an unspectacular but still solid third center who is on a non-guaranteed contract for next year so the the upside of that is that it's basically team control they can choose whether they want to have him or not the downside though is that it means that since the contract is 
is multiple years. It's not subsidized by the league in the same way. It counts on the books at the full amount. And he's not that good. So they're getting something. And then what, what makes this move so striking to me is it looks a lot like a like a small improvement in a tax avoidance move, except that via the Eric Bledsoe trade, the Bucks got a lot more breathing room relative to the tax this year. So they didn't, add, you know, including Vaughn, sure, that get that makes it easier financially because you don't have to, you know, him to pay the rest of his contract. But it's not like they needed to do that to duck the tax or anything. And since Zeller's contract was at the minimum for two years or fewer, they could have just brought him in at a minimum exception if they wanted to. I do think, however, that the inclusion of Vaughn is important because while the Bucks still only created another $100,000 or so of room by moving on from Vaughn, who's making slightly more than the minimum, uh, actually he's making a little bit more than that in terms of actual dollars, but counts on the books because you'll recall in the 2017 CBA, they bump up uh, some of those rookies from the couple of years before then in terms of their actual dollars, but that gets paid by the league. So it doesn't show up on the salary cap books of the team. So they're pretty close. They're about $100,000 apart this year. So the Bucks save that. But instead of getting Brooklyn to take back that money, which it sounds like from Woods' reporting, Brooklyn is not really interested in Vaughn and maybe he'll get a shot there, but, and, and he's still pretty young, but looks like he could be on his way out of the league as we thought when Milwaukee declined his option to begin with. But you now, because you got Vaughn included, instead of just having to waive him and take on that Zeller salary, you leave yourself still about $4.5 million below the tax. And it so happens that the Bucks have a fair amount remaining of their full mid-level exception, and they also have their BAE available as well. And so now they can be pretty competitive on the buyout market while at the same time having picked up Zeller. So well, I think it, you, you know what the, the best position yeah. on the buyout market's going to be? Yes. Well, I'm trying to present it positively from the Bucks perspective. Well, and the other, the other, I agree. I think they could have the done The other better. thing they have that could be significant here is they still have the Roy Hibbert trade exception, which expires late in February, so functionally at the deadline, and that is about $5 million. So they could also acquire a player by trade at about that amount and not go into the tax. So the, there are some av- avenues that could be open here. It's just that this seems like a move you do after you've tried everything else and it didn't work, as opposed to doing this three days before that, much less the buyout market. Yeah, and perhaps also the appeal for Zeller was, all right, he's under contract at basically very close to the minimum next year. And he also has a very late guarantee date. Well, it's, a, it's not one of those ones where you have to decide before free agency gets going. The guarantee date's all the way until the league-wide cutdown date next year in early January. So the thought is, all right, you know, we needed a third center. We can get this guy on the books for next year. He gives us insurance. If we need to move on from John Henson for luxury tax reasons, and maybe that's a thought too. It's like, hey, John Henson's actually been playing pretty well, especially since they've gone to a more conservative scheme under Prunty. But maybe next year we got to start Thon Maker. We have to move on from Henson to avoid the tax if they're going to re-sign Parker. And Zeller gives them a cheap cost-controlled option who, at least in their point of view, doesn't really suck that badly i think that he's not really a quality rotation player he has expanded his range out to three a little bit mostly from the corners he's 10 out of 26 on three pointers this year he still is a guy who can hit the mid-ranger he's got an okay floater and hook shot game around the rim not an elite finisher due to his lack of explosion and then defensively he could box out but that's about all he does he just provides zero rim protection whatsoever for this bucks team but again maybe he's serviceable you could say they needed a third center in case someone went down but i i tend to think that they could have maybe done better for trading a second round pick if they felt they needed a center uh, and maybe who knows how much of just taking back Vaughn's salary was part of the reason they had to do that uh, as well but uh, some of the guys they might have gotten perhaps uh, are not under contract for next year and maybe that is the thought just to uh, kind of give yourself a floor
floor at backup center next year in case something goes wrong so i think that does have some value uh this is a better deal than if he had not had that nine guarantee for next year that's for sure absolutely and and that's a a feather in the cap for sean marks that he created an asset out of nothing basically i mean that was just a small amount of cap space yeah and vaughn already has been reported unlikely to be part of brooklyn's plans but just so you know because he had his fourth year option declined that means that should they want to retain him the most they could pay him is the 2.9 million that he would have been due next year and it's difficult to imagine a circumstance especially in the tight 2018 market that we've foreseen which he could be worth more than that even if he blows up relatively speaking this year so he'll probably just get into competition for minutes with nick stauskas as the fourth guard maybe if the nets move on from joe harris at the deadline and try to pick up something for him vaughn could get a little bit more of a look there and, and he still is pretty young but certainly has not flashed much if anything as of now so yeah let's uh we'll get some more news here but first this from tripping.com staying in a rented vacation home to me especially if you have a group whether it's a family or a group of friends that's the way to go right how nice is it to just have a common area where you can all gather you can save money by cooking food in the kitchen you can live for a little while in an area that is maybe a little bit more off the beaten path live more like a local than in the hotel district and you can save a lot of money as well if you're not someone who's done this before but one of the downsides of that process is between between VRBO, TripAdvisor, Booking.com, Airbnb, you had to go to a bunch of different sites. That is no longer the case now with Tripping.com. It aggregates those sites together, and you don't have to wonder anymore if you're getting the best deal either. You'll save an average of 18% per night by booking your vacation with Tripping.com. The way to get started with them, Tripping.com slash Capspace is your URL. That's Tripping.com slash Capspace. Easy to remember that slash Capspace URL. Talk about it all the time here on the program, including with this titanic nets bucks trade today that's tripping.com t-r-i-p-p-i-n-g.com slash cap space to book yourself the perfect vacation rental all right we got some lower level news items here danny what we got we can do a little a little injury roundup darren collison is going to be out two to three weeks with a knee procedure which sounds like a really short period of time to be out for when you're having actual surgery on your knee yeah arthroscopic surgery is what they said and uh, you know it's always been i mean i think the last one of these that was like this short was Jan mihimi maybe but whenever it's less than six weeks for these surgeries i'm always skeptical i mean for them to go two to three weeks that's even less time than the low ends that we've seen and so it must be a very small procedure i don't know whether it's a cleanup they didn't release anything other than to say arthroscopic surgery so we don't know anything more than that collison was playing pretty well and this a blow for the pacers much the same way when one of their centers goes out they have Corey joe Joseph as a very capable backup but now you're bringing Joe Young into the mix as the backup point guard and he hasn't really done much to show that he's a rotation caliber player yet in his career maybe we'll see more of Lance Stevenson playing in a ball handling role with the second unit perhaps that's how they will try to adjust for this I don't think that the Pacers are necessarily in danger of missing the playoffs as a result of this although Victor Oladipo missed today with an illness that's a big part of why I think they lost but Collison has been an underrated factor for them 
with his shooting and they really need another shooter on the floor and now if you're gonna play they'd play lance down the end of games quite a bit at the three now if you're gonna play Corey joseph and lance together and thaddeus young is only an okay three-point shooter now you're really gonna struggle for spacing so it limits a lot what they can do maybe they'll be a little better defensively with joseph in some of those lineups but uh not good for the pacers and we'll have to see where it is that collison comes back and when he comes back is again it was not supposed to be a big surgery but you're always skeptical when someone goes under the knife another challenge for the pacers is just that sliding stevenson you can give him the playmaking responsibilities but they don't have enough perimeter players to just be like oh well, we'll just play a non-point guard you know go solve that the joe young problem that way they just don't have enough guys they are getting reinforcements eventually there glenn robinson the third who's been out this entire season with an ankle sprain a severe ankle sprain he was assigned to the g league on over the weekend and then he was listed as questionable but did not play in the game against the Wizards. so he'll be on probably some crazy minutes restrictions when you miss that much time with an ankle sprain but reinforcements are necessary for this team and it'll be also different because they're you know we'll see how reliable he is shooting the three this year but also just replacing collison that was part of what made them such a good shooting team was that they just didn't have bad shooters on the floor ever and no matter what they're downgrading from collison a few other notes here marquis chris was suspended by the suns after a verbal confrontation with an assistant coach between chris's injury issues and now this apparent temper issue dragon bender has had plenty of chances to seize that starting power forward job has not really been able to do so however um going back to the bucks i thought this is interesting this isn't necessarily news now but Zach Lowe wrote a nice column. He's been quite prolific of late on the Jason Kidd firing and just the state of the Bucks at this point and how they're going to get a second star. Jabari Parker uh, returned uh, over the weekend. Uh, I thought he looked decent in, in terms of his explosiveness. The jump shot looked good. Spacey as ever, basically uh, on defense in that Nets game uh, on Sunday. But the more interesting thing from Lowe's piece was apparently the Bucks were offering in the neighborhood, maybe it never got firmed up, but in the neighborhood of $18 million per season, a three-year deal worth $54 million and for me, that's just a, an example. You know, Jabari Parker, oh man, he was the number two pick in the draft. Like, he's not taking that. Like, no one wants to take this. Well, you know, when you consider A, the 2018 market in general, B, the fact that the guy wasn't even healthy at the time and was coming off of two ACL tears in the same knee, and just, and I know he's gotten paid reasonably well as the number two pick already, but to lock in another 54 million when you've basically missed two full years of your career due to injury, and it's not even clear if Jabari is an $18 million player, even though he scored very well last year, as of right now, when healthy, that to me is a perfect example of how agent incentives, and maybe the agent said, hey, take it, and Jabari said, hell no, you know, you never know. But in general, we've talked about this before, that especially with extensions, agents' incentives are to hold out for more money. I mean, now, of course, they could get themselves paid early on, but in terms of like their perception in the industry, their incentives are never sign someone to a deal that could become below market, because that's what gets hold held up as oh you didn't believe in this guy and now he, he's really outperformed that that he didn't believe in you now uh, you should go with me or for other people yeah he always settles for lowball offers well either they don't get publicized or what but you could go back to nerland's noel with with this you can go back to maybe marcus smart is another guy the celtics reportedly offered something pretty far into eight figures per season that he didn't take and there's no way he's getting that much that i can come up with on the restricted free agent market this year but agents just don't want to find a deal that could end up being below market because they think it makes them look bad and it never ends up people you know rival agents aren't like oh yeah he didn't take care of his guy because he had this deal and didn't sign it like that doesn't get out there publicly it can't be used as ammo in the same way so kind of a shame there i think granted you know 
as uh someone who's never played nba basketball i probably have a different mindset than someone that, like jabari but i mean you know he guy's only like 22 23 like he could get 54 million and if he outplays that it's only three years and he could have plenty of time to cash in after that's over one other sticky factor that i think is a part of this just on a human level is a lot of these players seeing the guys that got paid in 2016 oh for sure and saying i'm better than that guy that guy got paid and that there's no amount of coaching by an agent that can get you brain off that i mean for nerlands you could talk about guys like myers leonard be like oh i'm way better than him and look at how much money he got and and the funhouse mirror of that while that's something you and i talked about before it happened during and and of course after as we've been all dealing with the fallout players they're aware of that uh for people who've listened to the breakaway i thought there was an interesting part that hennigan or sorry that, that rob mahoney had different rob on um with the, the money part of of leadership and all that kind of stuff and and it is as when we when we're trying to predict things you do want to get into that realm of it and i can imagine how pissed off some of the guys were last year and it's going to be so much worse for restricted for agents this year because they're going to have these expectations in many cases of eight figures and there just aren't teams that are going to offer it at all yeah and brian windhorst and bobby marks had a piece again uh marks and tim mcmahon had a piece back in the offseason we've been talking about it and talking about it and talking about it that the market for unless you're just an absolute elite player and you're going to have basically if you consider that teams like the bulls and maybe suns and hawks are not going to really be in the free agent market when you consider that there's maybe four teams that are going to be able to offer anyone restricted unrestricted more than the full mid-level exception and then even probably half the league is going to be so close to the tax that they won't even be able to use the full mid-level exception it wants to be the taxpayer or maybe even less than that uh because 12 teams right now are slated to be tax teams unless they change things up so uh, it's going to be ugly for sure also ugly has been shabazz muhammad's situation in minnesota he would like to a trade or buyout but he also has a player option for next year and i'm guessing he won't be giving up too much of that both he and jamal crawford apparently were assured that they would be a larger part of the rotation than they've been but muhammad has been absolutely awful this year the wolves have been awful when he's been on the floor and so remains to be seen what happens with him still maybe potentially although this wanes with each passing year of his career a guy who might be an okay scorer for a team off the bench but just has never been willing to make the defensive effort uh despite having some pretty decent tools on that end that might actually make him anything more than just a potentially intriguing scorer at time and the challenge of negotiating theoretically let's call it a buyout with a player with a player option is is complicated it actually is something that the wolves have done before not this front office but when they were with kevin martin actually when they got kevin martin he had that player option and they didn't so they ended up i believe it was he got a buyout and they stretched it it was all that stuff going on he gave back a lot and never actually ended up making he did making that money back he retired at the end of that year as it turned out after signing for the minimum with spurs let's do a couple signings deandre liggins who had a 10-day contract with the new orleans pelicans he is back now on a two-year contract i have not yet heard i would assume it's either light or no guarantees on that second year you know there are a couple times every season there's a guy who gets that kind of rest of season and then something for the next year and liggins works hard on defense you know there's a there are reasons why jason kidd wanted to play him as a part of the rotation gentry has done that times too but his limitations as a shooter exacerbate some already existing problems with the pelicans it's so strange that the same thing happened with the bucks and they're just two teams that can use parts of his game but the whole picture is a little bit of a challenge but you know happy for him that he gets a spot locked in for the league for the rest of the year yeah i think it, especially considering the pels issues with the tax and the hard cap not the direction that i would have gone i would have tried to maybe sign another another couple of 10 days and i mean maybe liggins if he goes inside 
signs elsewhere are fine but why would you limit yourself you could potentially get someone on the buyout market why would you limit yourself now with Liggins who I just don't he's a terrible fit with Rajon Rondo as we'll talk about in today's game and not a guy who has really any kind of upside from a shooting standpoint so I, I'm uh would not be the direction that I would have gone I think he's shown that he is very very fringy and just not the kind of guy that the Pels should be looking for at this point um just just given the opportunity cost in particular given how close they are to the tax I mean why not I would rather I mean I think we have such a good enough idea of what Liggins is at this point I would rather just cycle through 10 days of guys in the G League and hope you find some new sticks I, I think that's a better use of your uh money than it is Liggins and then now you're also taking away a spot that you potentially could have used on, on a buyout guy later you never know who's going to come available they also signed a 10-day contract for Emeka Okafor which is exciting because he hasn't been in the league in such a long time the, I believe the last time he played in the NBA was in the 2012-2013 season so it's a long time for him to come back he did play in the game today against the Utah Jazz and because I'm a nerd about this sort of thing I realized over the weekend that we're going to see not that they're, they're I believe they're distant distant relations but we're going to see Okafor versus Okafor on Saturday because Emeka's Pelicans will play Jaleel's Nets and that's the first time in NBA history and I'm excited about that because I'm crazy nothing to add there I, I think you've summed that up quite nicely uh Scal Labissier is out two to three weeks uh, one less reason to watch the Kings uh he's got a left shoulder strain so that should put him out through the all-star break you would imagine Jordan Bell you remember he suffered that scary ankle sprain against the Bulls a few weeks ago he's progressing is able to do at least spot shooting but uh he won't be reassessed until after the all-star break himself I also wanted to give some credit to a a reddit user after mark stein and i were talking about how with certain players their contract yeah they don't get a no trade but the contract is so heinous that it is the no trade and so uh drew p Doan on reddit suggested the term noah trade clause for such a contract which i think is outstanding and i hope we will remember to use that yeah it, it, it's good i am still you know hard hard of the belief that no contract is truly untradeable but it's still a great term and i think it, it conveys something perfectly which is the idea that nobody wants that deal and and really like wall dang's contract his former teammate where it's the only way that it happens is a trade that's so big and ridiculous that you don't even really want to project it last thing here but before we talk some games zach Lowe went through and he based on reporting is saying a lot of things that we have been warning about which is essentially there are not many buyers right now nobody wants to take on money for next year and where the first round pick comes from for the likes of Lou Williams or the likes of Tyreek Evans is really difficult to project right now because there are a few teams that that sort of a player can help that feel like you know that's going to help us get to the finals or even the conference finals or, or much less to beat Golden State. Uh, he did say that Golden State is looking maybe for something else uh, on the wing I think that that need is starting to become pretty clear with some of their recent struggles a, a guy who can hit shots in the wing and not be as bad as Nick Young defensively I don't know if that guy necessarily is out there but it does look like at this point for teams that really do want an upgrade they may come cheaper than what people uh expect and what the traditional cost has been just because even the teams that are selling those guys like the Clippers or Memphis don't really want to take on long-term money and so if there's a way to just send 
send back someone who's expiring to get a guy who can play and maybe golden state would be interested in giving up their first rounder though certainly with their tax concerns coming up they might be loath to do that uh and then well and i, yeah, I want to yeah, connect with something there that also uh, something that goes back actually to I, I tried to convey this to people back when i used to work in tickets which is what made ticket selling such a weird commodity is that at a certain point unlike stocks it goes to zero value because you can't you can't trade it in that it's when the event happens and with this it's like with mm. Arsene Ilyasova or Marco Bellinelli once the trade deadline happens you can't get anything for them so at a certain point if let's say the Hawks yeah. say you, we you might as well sell the ticket for two bucks right or even exactly 50 cents or whatever because it's and I think the Bulls were starting yeah I think the Bulls were starting to realize that to some extent with Miritich and that's maybe why that deal which we probably thought just based on value was lopsided in favor of the Pelicans the Bulls were like hey you know what he's about to be worth nothing to us I mean not nothing nothing but and it actually helped them to get off of him in fact because uh they were gonna then win more games if he was still on the team so maybe the Bulls did well to act early and, and these other teams will just you know the market's not necessarily gonna materialize I guess we'll, we'll find out about that but I, I thought that's, that's a good analogy and then another thing that, that I thought about too and this is from listening to Woj's and Zach Lowe's podcast today but it's something that we said I think going back to the summer just you know based on our own speculation is if you're Dan Gilbert and you know there's all this talk about them moving the Brooklyn pick and you know they you got to get LeBron to say like that's you got this superstar in your prime you got to get him to stay and, and I agree if Dan Gilbert were sane that probably <laughs> would be the case uh, but try to get in his head a little bit here right okay you've got LeBron James that's true LeBron screwed you over once you've got a terrible relationship with him now he gets all the credit when you win you don't really like the guy and oh by the way yeah okay you have a chance to get to the finals every year but most people would probably say that they don't have a realistic chance of beating this Golden State team if Kevin Durant weren't in Golden State maybe it's a little bit different so okay yeah you can get to the finals again but you're not winning a championship and you're losing 25 million dollars per season that's what they lost last year they're in the repeater tax this year it could be even worse now uh so and no real way to get better so even if you were able to keep LeBron and it's not like you can then you know keep him and sell the team maybe that's what that's the only way that it could be worth it economically is if they could get him on a long-term deal and then sell the team but you know the idea of hey we got to keep him around the sell team he's going to leave anyway and you can't sell the team to get that equity they're probably going to lose you know a lot of value once he leaves but i don't think there's anything they could do about that at this point so to almost certainly not win an nba championship deal with all these headaches and lose 25 million dollars a year you could see how maybe dan gilbert is thinking hey you know what if he leaves it's not the end of the world there's one other big element of this and i've been watching this play out and largely kind of sat it out on twitter which is that lebron has been such a zealous advocate for getting his teammates paid and he can do that it's his prerogative if that's the way he wants to handle it but those contracts to tristan thompson to jr smith in particular are now prohibitive and some of that is those guys not living up to expectations but they were zealously advocated for by the kingmaker in their franchise and they yeah. got well they, they don't win the 2016 championship without tristan thompson's ability right. to switch it and get off on right. the rebound so i and I, I thought that was a reasonable contract to, at the time and then smith sure. as well yeah uh, but but you know, but it, but but if, so, if LeBron yeah. is lamenting publicly kind of certain parts about the team's competitiveness, it's like, well, if those guys had had a little bit more manageable contracts, even if you agree that they're valuable, then maybe you could get them for somebody better. But I mean, J.R. Smith's contract obviously fails the Nene test. Tristan Thompson's is close. I mean, depending on how you see it. And the fact that it's, it has another couple of years is certainly spooking some teams. We've talked about how reluctant they are to, to take on money. So I understand why those deals happen. I support it. I wrote a piece for the Sporting News saying this is why you pay Tristan Thompson that was before they won the title but those things do have consequences and it also makes
makes it harder for Cleveland to get out from under this should LeBron end up leaving. I'm not saying it's not worth it because they won a championship and that's a huge thing for them long term. But all of these things are a challenge. And I would assume, I think this is fair to say, that LeBron probably had a voice in why this Cleveland team has signed so many more past their prime players who are good who are good before they are right now as opposed to using those contracts on other ones and certain ones like Dwayne Wade for the minimum obviously that's a steal but like you know going for Jose Calderon and Jeff Green all that kind of stuff like I don't know if LeBron was involved in that but it certainly seems like something he would have supported all right let's uh nothing more to add there let's get to this uh Detroit Portland game Portland coming off a back-to-back they had an emotional loss uh I should say yesterday afternoon in Boston amazing shot making that was actually one of going to be a candidate for one of the games of the month as well uh but eventually Al Horford hit an incredible fadeaway shot uh to win the game they come in the next night and this was a pretty rough loss for the Blazers 111 to 91 to the Pistons who have won three straight since the acquisition of Blake Griffin yeah and I mean one of the big questions that we all had was how is the synergy going to be between Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond and while there are certain elements of it that are concerning the passing and the interplay between those guys we're less than a week in now that interplay I think really did shine in certain elements of this game yeah Blake I don't think he's going to be that efficient he kicked it off early at 10 points in the first uh, on four of eight ended nine of 20 from the field did not get to the foul line once actually 21 points that's that's one of the bigger drop-offs in Blake's game is he's just not number one like teams don't have to double him as much and he just doesn't quite have the explosion to beat guys to the spot and then go through them at the rim and get fouled but so a lot of it is the mid-range jumper for Blake but he does a decent job of creating shots he's a great passer had six assists in this one uh including a few to Drummond as you noted and he gives this offense just somewhere to go for so much of the time especially playing a fair amount of time with the second unit without Ish Smith who's really their only viable point guard on the roster right now so uh, I thought he played well I mean he's not a beast in the post he was not really effective getting good shots I mean if you were to look at all of Blake's shots in this game maybe like one or two of them were shots that you'd be like hey you know that's a good shot you know where he's wide open I mean a few maybe a few open threes he was three out of seven on threes and he's hitting that well enough now to where that's a good shot for him but he's not really creating a ton of separation anymore he had one play where he faked out Yusuf Nurkic with a spin move for a layup that, that was pretty good but given where the Pistons were offensively before acquiring him I thought that they he's going to help them and maybe a little bit more than I realized and, and part of the reason for that as well is that they have been getting better than expected play from some of their wings who are less heralded they have been and I, I thought this game was a really impressive performance for Gan Van Stundy and why I say that is because look at the the perimeter guys that were impressive in this game Anthony, Anthony Tolliver for counting him because he hit a couple threes Langston Galway did a nice job on the bench Rodney or Reggie Bullock who I thought he did a nice job overall on both ends of the floor hit some open shots competed on defense yeah like Bullock in particular is has been a massive find for them he was three of five on threes he's shooting almost 45 percent from three-point range and not well he is not a lockdown defender he's good enough you know he he wasn't getting killed by Dame Lillard and CJ in part two because they did a very nice job of getting out on the floor and making those guys give the ball up Andre Drummond I thought had a few defensive lapses but overall had a very nice defensive game as he has the last couple of times that I've seen him he was great in that Utah game last month as well which was the last time I think I watched a full Pistons game before this uh and so the defense looked quite stifling and what 
I liked about their offense, it, certainly they were taking this team takes a lot of mid rangers and it's tough to be efficient on a night to night basis, but it at least plays into their hands against a team like Portland, who, as we know, is very analytically focused. And so, whether it was Griffin taking long twos, and then the other thing that the Pistons have been doing a ton of this year is either screening away for guys coming off of wide pin downs in the corner or bring guys out of the corner for DHOs, and they were able to have those guys come off and get right to the free throw line and just get wide open shots at the free throw line time and time again and they were knocking those down in this game uh, uh, Luke Kennard uh, was pretty solid with that Stanley Johnson his decision making wasn't great we'll talk about that a little more but it had a couple of looks there um, and so uh, even Ish Galloway had a, couple. had a couple of looks there yes yeah yeah and so they were able like you can kind of see the idea and, and Portland has been well we talked about this on the awards column they haven't been as great defensively in January as they were the early part of the year I mean they still do a lot of the right things out there the reason I originally wasn't as enthused about this game was not only was it the tail end of a back-to-back but it was also the fifth game in seven nights for the Blazers so you could see some of that cumulative yeah. fatigue with them offensively and defensively but I mean you could, I also was impressed with the with the Pistons and one of the overarching things that I think is important to be thinking about this time of year especially as now that the deadline has moved up is really how the east is shaking out or right now depending on how you see Charlotte and I I still consider Charlotte on the outside looking in there are nine teams going for eight spots and so the question was kind of can Detroit now they're at 500 after winning this game where are they going to fit into that and I think what they're doing is they're putting a lot of heat now on everybody above them saying not only do you guys need to stay healthy but you need to play well because we're coming for that and they can keep moving up because there isn't that much separation between these teams yeah now, I think all of these games that have been at home and they beat Memphis at home in a, a close game in Blake's first game I think it was the Pacers the game after that and then there's this one against the Blazers so some decent wins this one was a blowout the first two were close wins but now the Pistons are back up to 50% playoff odds they're even at 26 and 26 and while they're the rest of the teams are pretty far above them in the standings except the Sixers who are also at 500 right now but have a better point differential than the Pistons uh those three wins were huge I mean just to get back on track and I mean remember they were just an absolute free fall uh, right before the Blake trade other than getting that win uh, over the Cavaliers which when the Cavaliers are on the road they're like one of the worst teams in the NBA these days so that doesn't mean as much as it used to oh can um, I game something out quick also so yeah. their schedule before sure. the the all-star break is really favorable so they play Brooklyn the Clippers the Pelicans and the Hawks all at home and their only road game is in Atlanta so there are a couple challenging games I mean obviously New Orleans is still a very good team and the Clippers have been competitive in Brooklyn but if that is a, a slate where they can keep building on this momentum and be be happy with where they are and this was their big move so I think they can be you know they're not going to be looking to really do something else I'm guessing at the trade deadline though I've been wrong on that before a few other uh, notes uh, from this one be hard pressed to find a blazer who played particularly well probably ed davis who had six offensive rebounds and actually was giving andre drummond some trouble with his quickness uh, on the offensive glass uh, as drummond is not the greatest box out guy in the world he likes to just go get the ball and davis was able to kind of slither around him uh, as he can do uh but other than that uh, no one really played that well for uh, the blazers evan turner didn't play due to a calf injury in this one not quite sure how long he's going to be out so they started aminu and harkless harkless uh, was on fire against boston on sunday but did not have the touch today aminu as well uh, was asked to do a lot more off the bounce than they usually like him to in part again because drummond was so good i mean he he really bothers guys on those traps he can get a hand in get a steal uh and then recover back pretty quickly with uh his lateral mobility zach collins had a really 
rough night. He the combination of he and Davis has been solid together, and and but Collins was one out of eight, and he's a guy who plays hard and has some athletic advantages, but he doesn't really know what to do when he doesn't have the athletic advantage. Like he tried to go in and just shoot a regular straight layup with no craft at all on Andre Drummond and just got it thrown back in his face twice in a row, and, and just looked like a, a rookie out there tonight. He's he's had some moments, but this was not one of his better games. Uh, and then CJ McCollum was really shut down. He was negative 28 in this one. Uh, I think he only had like two points after the first quarter and Dame was okay, but it wasn't like a transcendent night for him. And he also had five turnovers. So I thought the Pistons did well. Portland certainly looked tired. Uh, and then for Detroit though, Stanley Johnson, I thought he played pretty well defensively. I thought he and Detroit's wings in general were effective, taking away a lot of those flare screens that the Blazers like to run. Uh, and he did a good job of being physical with CJ uh, did not really seem to get beat off the bounce uh, too often when he was matched up one-on-one but his offensive decision making still is kind of vexing for me and it's hard because at certain moments just the way the Pistons offense works they're going to put him in a position where he has a decision to make I mean if he's coming off a DHO or something like that where you you're, you're trusting your player and you're putting the ball in his hands and he has the tough combination of a lot of confidence in his ability like to get to the rim I don't consider him a particularly great finisher and not really having much of a jump shot so I think that you're yeah. kind of creating circumstances that are that are good like that's what you want your offense to do is to put guys in a position to succeed but I'm not sure it's putting him in a position to succeed and that creates a challenge because you're not going to totally retool your offense because of Stanley Johnson so you just kind of sitting there going well he's one of your best options right now especially with the defensive value he can provide and maybe you just have to roll with that but I'm going to be interested to see now that they have this perimeter rotation that they have now who plays in which roles and how they make this work because with Stanley, it seems like at least a portion of, of his play is incorrigible is a little bit strong, but it's not really something that you can fix during this season. Yeah, and he's got maybe more ball handling ability than just your typical three, but the lack of rise on his jump shot, he's got kind of a low release. It doesn't go in. We talked about how he's shooting about 25% on jumpers off the dribble, and then the lack of explosion at the rim, which you alluded to. Uh, you know, he can get a shoulder past this guy sometimes, but then a lot of times just doesn't have a plan he'll miss passes it just makes bad decisions to either shoot off the bounce or go into a bunch of guys where he is not really able to either finish it or get a good passing lane to kick out so I, I think you know his usage is not exactly astronomical it'll probably go up a little bit now with the Tobias Harris on another team they just need someone to do some stuff off the dribble but I think that he would still be well served to kind of focus a little bit more on the spot up opportunities and transition and you know try to just get into the paint break the paint and then maybe just keep the ball moving instead of trying to get all the way to the room where he's just not going to be able to finish over any kind of a test. Um, also for Portland... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry, there's one other thing I wanted to bring up for the Pistons. Partially, I, I, there are a couple other factors that I just, I'm just i not completely sharp on, but I liked that they ran a basically a three-big rotation. They Tolliver was playing really well, so they played Drummond, Blake Griffin, and Tolliver. Those guys, you know, Tolliver 27 minutes, Blake 30, Drummond 34. You can make that work as a team, especially in the modern NBA. A lot of times that was playing Blake as the second unit center, and I think it worked. And Portland going as big as they did, you would think that that might be a challenge, but I thought they did totally fine. Yeah, Tolliver is uh, shooting 41% from three-point range this year. Galloway has been excellent from outside as well. They have guys who, who can shoot, and hopefully Blake can play make for them a little bit more, or at least have the space to go to work down low. Although how much he can really beat those matchups still remains to be seen. But the Pistons won this one in large part on great three-point shooting, 15 out of 30, and, and defense as well. They're 15 out of 30 from downtown 
struggle. The Blazers struggled to 10 out of 33. Yusuf Nurkic, I thought just his finishing, he just still suffers from when he can't get a shoulder into a guy. He'll catch it on the pick and roll. And if you just lay back on him, he's just going to kind of careen into the paint and throw some crap up. And sometimes it'll bounce in, but it doesn't look very good. It'll get get a lot of shots blocked. He's trying to release it quickly so he doesn't get it blocked. And so some of the pick and roll magic that he had late last year when he first came to Portland, you know, he hasn't quite been able to replicate that as much this season. Uh, all right, let's do a read and then we'll get to Utah and New Orleans. The Jazz have been absolutely on fire lately. And should you like to go see them in person, seriously, the Jazz has been really fun lately. I, I'm not lying about that. SeatGeek is the best way to do that. They're giving us a special offer. I know you've heard me do a read for SeatGeek many, many times before. You can use that cat space code to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase, or they have a special NBA offer running through All-Star Weekend. If you're a first-time purchaser, you can get $30 off any NBA ticket between now and February 19th. There's a different promo code for that. It's DUNCED, D-U-N-C-D. So sorry to give you another promo code because we always try to do cap space, but different one here. DUNCED, $30 off any NBA purchase. It could be for any game. It just, you got to actually make the purchase uh, through All-Star Weekend. So even if you've been looking at an April matchup or something, you can act now and you can save 30 bucks with that promo code DUNCED, D-U-N-C-D, for $30 off NBA tickets. Or you can still get the $20 off your first Tiki purchase for anything else other than NBA using the promo code CAPSPACE. And SeatGeek, again, real quickly, the reason to use it, aggregates ticket selling sites together, so no more headaches about having to go to a bunch of different sites, and then saves you both time and money by ranking every ticket based on value. So you just see where the biggest, darkest green dot is, click on that, and that'll give you your best value as you're looking through with SeatGeek. So you use that dunked D-U-N-C-D for $30 off NBA tickets, or the normal CapSpace code, $20 off any first-time purchase of anything so let's get to utah and new orleans here what were your uh, overarching thoughts on this one i mean the jazz are are an absolute buzzsaw right now i was impressed with the quality of looks they were generating one of the things that they're able to do just because they know the angles like ricky rubio had a couple of just beautiful passes to gobert where there wasn't a big window but he got it in and he knows exactly how far gobert's arms can reach and could get it in and so they were able to generate much more reliable offense than the pelicans were and this game was it was closer at halftime and part of that was because Rajon rondo actually hit a couple threes and you think about if those sort of things were to mean they could have they could have been a, a, taking control of this game even earlier than they did yeah and they themselves were extremely hot in the first half they were 10 of 11 on three pointers in the first half but then only managed three out of 10 in the second half and they still put up 60 points on this pelicans team in the second half after 70 in the first half and i mean rubio has been playing unbelievably well he had a career high 34 points i believe against the suns over the weekend and utah has now scored over 120 in four straight games and they've scored 129 or more in three of those four games including being the warriors by 30 at home they beat the suns by 30 on the road they just beat the pels by 24 and this one 133 to 109 and then they they beat the spurs on the second night of a back-to-back by nine putting up a buck 20 on them as well and even in, in these last two games donovan mitchell has been a non-factor he was ill for the Spurs game and then this one only played 19 minutes did not appear to be himself as Drew Holiday uh, and Liggins uh, really caused some problems Mitchell was only one out of six for two points he had a nice reverse dunk or I'm sorry backdoor dunk uh, on alley-oop and that was basically it uh the big star though uh, was Rodney Hood 30 points on 15 shooting possessions that's efficient 
It's almost as efficient as it gets. He was four of four on threes, and then he was eight of ten if on twos, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah. And for for those of us who have bet, I I mean, I think I picked Rodney Hood two years in a row for most improved player, and the reason why was just because his offense like as your pred- as your prediction, prediction for who would be yes. most, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not as not as the actual winner for either of those years, <laughs> but but the reason why is because you see that kind of potential that he can do. He he's capable with the ball in his hands. He can also catch and shoot, and I still especially with the that his defense hasn't gotten to the level they always wanted to i think he's better served coming off the bench you know being a high high volume bench guy rather than being a starter on a good team i think that's the best role for him but still those players who have wing size are incredibly valuable around the league and i don't think a game like this should necessarily change the way teams evaluate him but it can be a reminder of oh yeah this guy's a good player and as something we talked about earlier in this broadcast and i actually wrote about this for the athletic today trading for pending restricted free agents i think i think we're going to see one or two teams make really really smart moves in that direction that could be keeping a guy like it could be with maybe with aaron gordon or something like that or it could be acquiring somebody because if the market dries up you could be getting these guys at incredible value yeah or maybe they just decide screw it i'm taking the qualifying offer still cheap yeah and i think we're going to see in the 2019 free agent market will be better but my prediction is we're going to see a lot of guys doing cheapo deals with player options for next year and just you know kind of chasing that 2019 money a little bit more when it becomes clear how miserable the market is but hood i mean six eight guys who can rise up over just about anybody and get their shot and then he was also able to use the threat of that you know he'd come to the free throw line one two looked like he was going to stop and pop and a couple of times he got shorter defenders to overcommit because they're like oh man he's about to rise up i better like jump early so to have some prayer contesting this thing and so he gets guys in the air and then he steps through for a, a nice floater he's got that move as well didn't really show much defensively he got beat a couple times in isolation by drew holiday who just like went right through him i thought it was really not not very good intensity or strength by hood uh, on those plays but he's not a terrible defender and his ability to just shoot threes off the bounce and shoot you know high 30s 40 percent is very impressive it's just you know he can't stay healthy on this jazz team which is a, a problem um and it seems like they really want to move him i i probably would not be just because he i think he gives you some upside there um he's also really inconsistent as well that's another thing another thing that i thought was of note for the jazz here with jonas jerebko didn't play particularly well and then the jazz starting both halves extremely well usually they it's all token and they take Derek favors out after three minutes but they actually played gobert and favors together quite a bit in this one and it was really effective for one of the few times this season it was effective despite new orleans in his first start he played over the weekend but nikola mirtic started this game and you think in certain circumstances that could compromise the opposing defense if you have somebody who favors like we both think of him as more of a five than a four playing against a a shooting power forward but I thought I thought that didn't compromise them as much as I expected it to and then favors was able to create advantages the other way because he's bigger and stronger than Mirosic yeah and while the Jazz I mean they didn't generate a ton of three-point looks with only 21 obviously they shot it extremely well and Ricky Rubio usually it's been well Rubio and favors and Gobert together and you're just not gonna have the spacing but against what was a porous New Orleans defense Rubio uh, although Rajon Rondo uh, ended up with 18 points I think all of them might have even been in the first half I want to say I don't think he scored in the second half and, and he ended up negative 19 uh by the way Rondo the Pels were eight and four in their last 12 coming in Rondo still somehow only had a positive plus minus in two of those games and I think he was even in, in a third of them and, so and just, they are still playing pretty poorly with him on the floor and remember where his minutes are like that's not even right, it, right. It, it, I knew you were gonna say that yeah. he's playing with 
the end, you know, it's it's kind of like the Zaza Pachulia thing. You play all your minutes with your team's best players, and your team still doesn't do well when you're on the floor. And I'm noting Pachulia, yeah. that's not been true this year, but that was true to a point last year. Yeah, and Rondo just got absolutely torched by Rubio in this one. And, you know, part of the problem there was that usually if you can just get either get under and meet Rubio on the other side, or geez, at least just like kind of compete enough so that he has to think about it if you go under, but you still kind of get a hand up and he can't just like measure up the shot um or you just compete and stay on his back and it's tough for him to finish you and your big doesn't have to fully commit well rubio was just getting into the lane time and time again in this one and he just threw some unbelievable passes he also had he's got more confidence finishing around the room something david locke's been noting too uh he had one play late in this one where he drove in you know completely unmolested of course from the guard he's got ad back there and he does like an awesome like quick yo-yo dribble fake pass totally freezes ad and then just shoots a nice little finger roll over him uh it was you know not the sort of play you're used to seeing from ricky rubio finishing over a, a shot blocker of davis's caliber and then the jazz centers were also just fantastic uh defensively epe Udo had a couple of nasty blocks late in the third quarter uh including one where he just pinned ad's shot between the, the rim and the backboard for a jump ball and gobert was really difficult to score on inside it as well and he is looking better offensively now calming down a little bit with his finishes and he had 19 points on seven out of eight from the field and 10 rebounds in 33 minutes so he was looking good favors hit a couple of threes as well he was two at two on three so everything working right now for the jazz anything else you want to add from the pell side on this one not particularly well shake diallo didn't have a great game i thought that was a little bit of a concern and that might be part of why th- well it's interesting dante cunningham got a dmp coach's decision i'm not sure why that would have been he's not listed i don't think on their injury report um so I don't know why they were playing uh, guys like Liggins and Diallo over Dante Cunningham at the four. I mean, maybe they felt like, hey, you know, we just, we have to get another center out there, but they had Okafor, they had Diallo. Uh, so yeah, maybe Cunningham's injured and I just didn't see it, but I, I checked their uh, Roto World injury report. He's not listed on there. And then uh, Drew Holiday continues. I mean, maybe I just happened to catch his good games, but he just caused absolute misery for Donovan Mitchell in this one. Um, we saw him play great defense against Kyrie Irving earlier in the season and then he was by far the best offensive guy 28 points 13 out of 21 and interestingly enough we have not mentioned the name of anthony davis yet uh he was had 15 points on six out of 16 and did nothing in the second half and it was interesting that this was against the jazz because this is one of those games that david Locke talks about where anthony davis just has like a huge variance in his performance from game to game and if he has a lot of games where he plays poorly i mean the the pels just aren't going to win when he plays poorly and so uh he is pretty inconsistent again we've speculated as to what the reasons for that might be whether it's you know he's more of a defended player offensively or just there's something about his game or he just you know maybe physically he doesn't feel that good from game to game you know he's always got these nagging injuries but whatever it is that continues to be the case where he'll have a lot more inexplicably bad games and then just some completely monster games too uh, on occasion uh he's less consistent the least consistent superstar in the nba i was particularly excited to see him in this one because with demarcus cousins being out that meant he and gobert were squaring off a lot more 
more often, and it yeah, oh, Gobert man. did great matched he up on him really one on one. AD had no chance to score on him one on one. Like he, if he was going to score, it would have had to have been you know pick and pop, draw him away from the hoop type of stuff. Right, and that and there isn't really enough created on those sorts of plays sometimes for the Pelicans to you you can use it. Of course, it should be a part of your offense. But I, yeah, I mean that that was definitely a concern for for Davis, and he is going to have to be their anchor both on both ends of the floor moving forward as, as well as Drew Holiday has played as a facilitator at moments and as a scorer at other points it is Anthony Davis's team and this is a you know I, I was sitting there before this game started and I was, I was kind of going okay you know like yeah Utah's been playing super well but before this game Utah was four games under 500 and the Pelicans were four games over 500 so you're sitting there going like that's a big big difference when you have fewer than 30 games left and so I was sitting there going okay well let's get happen and then you watch this game and you go well crap I mean how good are the Jazz going to be the rest of this season like if they're a 45 or even a 50 win pace team for the rest of this season they'll blow through that 500 mark and if the Pelicans are you know they can certainly win games and and, and I think they will but like it, I, th- I thought that was kind of far-fetched when the day started and I'm feeling I'm feeling like that was a little bit of an overstatement for me just thinking more about banked wins than what they could do from here on out the Utah Jazz despite a 25 and 28 record are now projected for the sixth seed by 538 tied with the trailblazers with a 44 and 38 record in part because i mean they've had these three almost blow or four almost blowout wins and they've won three games by 24 points or more out of their last four and one was against the warriors and three were on the road so that's uh that's pretty impressive uh, for the jazz now of course gobert has been relatively injury prone these last two three years hood can go down at any time rubio is playing out of his mind you know they're not going to keep playing like this to be sure we'll see what the trade deadline brings for them as well they are going to try and move hood or favors that could maybe put a crimp in their plans as well but they certainly are having one of the great stretches of this season and for the pals they were playing rondo and liggins together for massive portions of this game and you just and rondo now he hit four three-pointers in the first half and then drew hit this impossible step back all four of rondo's threes occurred in like the last three minutes of the half so uh, in a five a span of five possessions the jazz forced four rondo threes and a really tough drew holiday step back going for the two for one and the pels made all five of them but you knew especially with rondo that that wasn't gonna happen i think he did in fact score zero points in the second half and they had rubio guarding him and rubio is such a smart help defender that he was really able to gum up the works for a lot of the stuff that they were trying to do in particular for ad and it's a little frustrating when oh thank god they finally got this stretch for nikola mirotic like they're finally gonna get some space around ad and now they're gonna play rondo and Ligon together around it and just completely blow all all of that spacing that they have something uh, else i'm happy you brought it up that i heartily enjoy and we don't see enough because teams go the other direction so when a team has a limited offensive player a lot of coaches for logical reasons put a an important offensive player who's a bad defender james harden is a great archetype for this on that guy and there is a value to that especially if that the player that he's guarding is in is less active so they have to do less and harden's case that's always a really good thing but there is such an intense value to having a an intelligent but b a good help defender on that player because they can just create so much more havoc and i thought we got 
got that in the Rubio game, and that's going to be less prevalent in the playoffs this year because Robertson isn't isn't going to be out there. So it, it isn't going to be what I thought it was, but that's something that I always look for, and I thought Rubio in particular did a wonderful job of that in this game. All right, that's a good one to close on here. Again, I want to remind you guys, cap space code with Wish, number one thing you guys can do to support us right now to uh, help us get a long-term sponsorship for the Twitter NBA show and hopefully lead to us doing more of that as well, which would be awesome. So we really appreciate your support, but this is a, a special time really to uh, make a difference in our endeavors. And so anything that y'all can do to help us there, and you know, especially considering how low their prices are with that cap space code on Wish, you uh, shouldn't be put out too much. I hope you should be able to find something that hopefully you want uh, or need or both uh, on Wish with that cap space code. And speaking of which, we will have the Twitter NBA show tomorrow, OKC at Warriors. So a little bit later of a start, probably around 725 Pacific or so for Thunder at Warriors. That'll be an interesting one. Both teams uh, foundering to some degree, so we'll see who can turn it around. And we will talk to you all tomorrow night. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.